We are wrapping up today with the book of James. What a remarkable book. I wish I'd been here for uh, much of your study. And I am going to be reading briefly or momentarily from James chapter 5, and we'll look at the last verses of the book, verses 13 through 20 of chapter 5. Verses 13 through 20 of chapter 5. It is true, Tyson. Uh, I have known uh, your pastor for a, a big number of years. Uh, not only Michael, but uh, Colin Stacy, Stephen Rinesmith, and Joel Libramento were four of eight guys that uh, were with me when they were in Bible college in a discipleship group. I guess that's what we called it, but we met once a week and we prayed. And one of the things that we were praying back 10 years ago was about the future of Michael and Joel's ministry together. And we prayed because they sensed that God would want them maybe in the future to plant a church. And we were praying over Savannah, Georgia, uh, but God had Fort Worth in mind, which suits me just fine since I live in Fort Worth. <laughs> James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. This is an exhortation to pray. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? He should sing songs of praise. Is any of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from uh, the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I've been thinking about my walk with Jesus as a follower. It, it was a difficult thing for me to come to faith. And I've been thinking about my journey of prayer. Can we just admit that prayer is not easy for many people? It's natural. We know we should pray. Many of us feel guilty that we don't pray enough, or maybe we don't pray in the right kind of way. And yet, if we look back over the course of our lives, we see that God has been guiding our journey. At least I do. And my hope today is that all of us would be able to learn from this passage together. I'm thinking about how it was that I moved from someone with no faith to a person who believes that God can do anything. Maybe it was granny. I never wondered whether or not there was a God because my grandmother knew him and it was evident. When I was a little boy, she used to tell me about how all of her grandchildren could tell you how to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there was a problem because two of her three sons didn't go to church, had no observable relationship with Jesus, at least not below the chin. And her grandchildren 
for the most part, were not in church. But today, I can say that those two generations completely belong to Jesus and are serving him. And I believe it's because of her prayers. Maybe it was Miss Eunice. I came to faith and I would call it a church, but it was really a love affair. I joined a love affair my senior year in high school. And the name of the church was First Church of the Nazarene in Vicksburg, Mississippi. But I loved the church. I had my family. I was from a broken home, but this was my family and I belonged. I really couldn't imagine my life without this church. But over the course of my college career, it became evident that we should probably be doing what you're doing, starting a church in Startwell, Mississippi. Now, this was 1989. We didn't know we could go to conferences in Toledo. We were just a bunch of college students, young, too young to start a church. You know the story. And uh, I didn't want Miss Eunice, my mentor in my home church, to know because I really didn't want to go. And in fact, I'd gotten to the point I asked the Lord, Lord, if you're leaving this up to me and I have a choice, I want to stay at my home church. So one night after church, Miss Eunice and I were standing in the parking lot and she looked me in the eye and she said, Keith, I'm going to miss you, but I've been praying that the Lord would use you to help start a church in Starkville. And then she told me that she had been praying for this for 56 years. I thought it was a secret. Instead, we had just walked into the answer uh, <laughs> that this woman had been seeking for 56 years. And today you can go to that church and home of Starkville Christian School. I became convinced of the power of prayer because of people around us. But it won't surprise you that James doesn't just want you to be convinced. He doesn't just want you to have faith. He also wants you to act. And so I also ask myself the question, when did I move from simply being convinced of the power of prayer to some sense of needing to act on it? And this wasn't an old lady, due respect to Miss Eunice and my grandmother, that helped me. I think it was a kid named Randy. He was a teenager. I was still in my 20s. And maybe you've met Randy before. He is Heather Stacy's uncle. This was a long time ago, but um, we were in a Sunday school class together, and he said, Keith, we're going to have prayer at the campus tonight, and I'd like to invite you. So I went. And what I discovered was that most every weeknight, there was a group of students meeting somewhere on campus, if you could find them, and they were praying. And I fell into the habit of driving down to Wesley College campus, Florence, Mississippi. At the time, I was an engineer in the power company. And those kids would pray, and we'd pray together, and they would sing. And there was no agenda. We would just show up, and it'd last an hour. And sometimes it felt forced. And sometimes the presence of God was so real that everyone was moved. Sometimes there was a handful. Sometimes there was a large crowd. But I learned the value in praying with other people and praying consistently in those days. I didn't know, but a few years later, I would be back on that campus, not as a friend of a Sunday school class, but as a teacher. The campus had nearly closed in the day shortly before I was hired, and so I would walk back on campus. And almost every room I walked into, I was haunted, and I could hear the voices of those teenage college students asking God to do something on that campus. Part of what they were asking God for and didn't even know is in this school auditorium this morning. James 
wants you to believe in prayer and he wants you to pray. I'm struck as I read the book of James just how wise the book is. In fact, it is a book of wisdom. It's, it's like a Christian version of Proverbs. And James in these few verses tells us more about prayer than I recognize just on a surface reading. And I've read this passage many, many times. I'm struck by how he wants us to pray with other people and by ourselves. In verse 14, he says, if you're sick, call together the elders of the church. Those would be the pastors. Do you know it's perfectly fine for you to pick up the phone or to fill out a response card and say, Pastor Michael, pray for me. Or all of you pastors or all of you leadership team at the River Church, would you pray for me? Would you come to the hospital and pray for me? There may be a really good time when you can't voice your own prayer and God would be very pleased for you simply to ask your pastors to pray for you. Amen? Now, it's not just that the elders should pray. There's also this prayer where you have prayer partners. Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other, verse 16 says, that you may be healed. Now, he's talking about sin and healing, but I think the bigger principle is brokenness. So whether you're physically sick from what you've done wrong or whether you're just in a messed up situation, brokenness pervades our society. It gets into our lives, whether we introduced it or we just walked through a world where everything is broken and we need healing. And the Bible suggests here through James that the way to address this is to have prayer partners. I remember when I met Jeff, he was in a church plant like this one. We were in a skating rink, and this was in Clinton, Mississippi. And Jeff was a young guy, and he was obviously struggling to figure out how to walk with Jesus. He had a history I didn't have. I was in graduate school. I was an engineer. I, we were just different. He dropped out of high school. Smart kid. I'm not saying anything different, but, you know, I, he had one set of demons. I had another in our, in, our, in our past. But I realized somebody needed to walk, walk it out with him, and so I had a, 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 an accountability partner at seminary, and I said, why don't you go take care of him? But I couldn't get anything moving, and I was like, you know what? This kid needs a prayer partner, and I'm just going to go hang out in his life. And if I get the message to go away, it won't hurt my feelings. I'll just do it. But somebody needs to reach out to him. Little did I know how much help that Jeff would be to me. I had a prayer partner. He's a, not only that, I had a gym partner. That I'd never had one of those before. And then lastly, there is the individual prayer. Elijah, as best we can tell, was pretty much isolated for three and a half years. I don't think any of us would want that kind of isolation, but he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain. He was praying alone. And I want to just say to you, if you are struggling in your prayer life, it's fine for your pastor to pray for you. It is fine for you to pray with somebody else, and it's fine to pray alone. And somewhere in America this morning, somebody is preaching that unless you get up at five o'clock in the morning and pray all by yourself in a closet, it doesn't really count in heaven. And that's not only not helpful, it's not true. If you're struggling in your prayer life, it is perfectly fine to pray with somebody else. I remember Shelly came to the altar and she was squalling. This was at Wesley College. And she said, I just can't get my prayer life. She was the most extroverted girl on campus. I'm saying, pray with somebody else for crying out loud. It still counts. It's prayer. So James just wants you to believe and to pray, prayer and to, and, and to pray. 
What I'd like to talk to you about today is the, the four times to pray, and these follow right along with what James suggests to us. In verse 13, it says, is any of you in trouble? This is actually the same word that James used back in, chap- in verse 10, where he said, as an example in the, uh, of uh, uh, patience in the face of suffering. So, Another way that this could be said is, um, is any of you suffering? And in fact, the Holman goes right with it. So I should have been reading that translation on the screen. Is any of you suffering? If you're in suffering, what does God want you to do? Well, he wants you to pray. Now understand that James is giving you lots of wise advice. So you might remember back at the beginning of the book, he said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that trials develop patience. But here he's telling you, don't just sit back and wait for the trial to go away. You should pray. You should pray. I told you about my friend Jeff. Uh, He was my gym partner, my prayer partner, and he made some decisions that most of the folks didn't agree with. He, in fact, he went to work for Victoria's Secret. That did not seem like a good idea for a 24-year-old guy. For some reason, we just were not in favor of it, but he couldn't be talked out of it. And I just thought, well, he's walked out of my life. And the Lord seemed to say into my spirit, Keith, get in your car and go to Memphis. You're not done with Jeff. And I said, okay. And uh, shortly thereafter, Jeff was arrested. He was arrested for a horrible crime, as it turned out, which he did not commit. And so here I was in his life again, and we wanted to pray because he was in trouble. He was persecuted. Now, all across the world today, there are people who are being persecuted who can't go to a nice elementary school in the middle of a nice neighborhood in the state of Texas to worship. But maybe today you're in the middle of a trial that doesn't make sense to you or to anyone else around you. Maybe people don't even know. Maybe you're in the middle of a trial and you got yourself there. But the point is that James says, in this situation, you should pray. Actively talk to the Lord. Listen to him. One of the greatest things that ever happened from that circumstance is I had a chance to sit down and talk with Jeff's identical twin brother. He'd grown up in church, so he started quoting scripture to me. And I said, well, as I understand it, Satan came to kill and steal and destroy. His twin brother finished the verse for me. And I said, I don't want to be disrespectful, but it seems to me you're cooperating with the enemy here. Fascinating. Fascinating. This story played out like one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament where Joseph was falsely arrested and imprisoned. And as a result, all of his siblings were saved. Do you remember that story? And it was true in Jeff's life. It made me a believer that even when circumstances come about that do not make sense to us, we should not give up. We shouldn't wonder where God is, but we should pray. Is any of you suffering today? You should pray. Secondly, you should pray when you're happy. It says, is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Well, to the Jewish people that James is writing scattered among the nations, they had a prayer book. It was called Psalms. And some of them they sang and some of them they read. We don't know what the tunes are, so we don't sing them much today. But a song of praise would be a song that they sang, maybe Psalm 24. I don't know. They would sing these Psalms. Um, And James is saying, not only when things are bad, but when things are good, you should pray. 
I'd like to tell you about how the eight of us that included the four I mentioned got together as a prayer group. It just seemed kind of like it should happen. One day, uh, one of our uh, students' wives walked in my office. She closed the door and she sat down and said, you've got to help my husband. Now, this was Lisa and she was talking about Dale. And Dale had been um, a new believer because Lisa won him to the Lord and he was called to ministry, so they came to Wesley College. Uh, Dale needed some support. It is hard to be a Christian husband, a Christian young man in today's world, and it's not getting any easier. And so I said, well, I tell you what, Lisa, maybe if I can ever get a group of guys together, I'd invite Dale to be a part. Well, our group of guys would meet from time to time, and um, the situation turned that Dale had some news he was a little concerned about. So Lisa told me one day, we were standing at a a wedding reception, and she said, uh, on such and such a day in May, Dale is going to go to the doctor, and when he goes, um, he is not going to have cancer because I can't deal with it. And the news was worse than any of us could have imagined. Dale had had a spot on his back, which he had, as a man might do, ignored for the previous five years, and it was an aggressive form of melanoma that lit his PET scan up through his lymph system everywhere above his waist and into his brain. The doctor said, there's nothing we can do in the state of Mississippi. You have less than six months to live. And Dale came to our group and said, I want to graduate from Wesley College. It seemed so unlikely. One of the doctors at the University of Mississippi Medical Center told Lisa, there's nothing we can do for him except keep him comfortable, but he's young. You ought to fight for him. And so Dale went to Vanderbilt as a a patient in a research situation, and we got the news that his oncologist, who had been on the Today Show the previous day to this uh, event, sat him down and said, Dale? We did not misdiagnose you. You had cancer. You do not have cancer. It had completely disappeared. And I wish I could describe to you what happened on that campus. Faith rose up and people believed because God had done a miracle. By the way, this oncologist had grown up in Africa as a missionary's son, so he knew exactly what he was dealing with. Have you heard the expression that lightning doesn't strike in the same place twice? Well, I had eight guys in this group, and uh, sometime later, Bill came to be a part of Wesley College, and in his first semester, lost 50 pounds, got to the point that he was being wheeled around in a wheelchair. Uh, Joel and Michael took him to the emergency room countless times, And eventually, by November of his first year, uh, he was, again, diagnosed with brain cancer terminal. There's not much we can do with it. I'll never forget the night at Baskin-Robbins in Pearl, Mississippi, this crying young man read a two-page letter to a group of us who were gathered there. I believe Heather and Stephen were there at that um, time. It was election night, 2008. And he said he just wanted his life to count for something. Well, this time, um, I'd always believed that God could heal, but I thought at least our group should get together and pray for Bill, right? And so the next 
uh, week, uh, we were going to have our regularly scheduled meeting, and I don't know what it was, but everything was scheduled that night. So I went to campus, and I tried to get our guys together, but Colin had a football game. So we went to the flag football game, and we tried to assemble our group together to pray for Bill um, at the uh, football park, but the city official came along and said, it's closed, you've got to leave. And so what else is open in Florence, Mississippi at 1030 at night? Burger King. So finally, I have my group of people. Did I tell you, like, Bill is supposed to die? He's cried. You know, I I just want my life to count for anything. So now we're going to have a prayer meeting for him at Burger King. So we finally migrate to the corner booth. And my guys, somebody has a burger on the table with one bite taken out of. I'm like, really? Seriously? This is a prayer meeting. Okay, so we, we got ready to pray, and I don't even remember who started praying, but we were praying that God would heal Bill and the Burger King. And then Joel starts laughing, and then I understood what he was laughing at, because the ambient music in the background was the 1975 smash hit by Hot Chocolate. I believe in miracles. Where are you from? You sexy thing. <laughs> So much for my idea of a strong, beautiful prayer, much less calling the elders of the church together and anointing with oil. The next week I was in Belize, and when I got down to the port city where I could get a text message out, this was 2008, I sent a message to Michael Gerald, and I said, Michael, can you please tell me how Bill is doing? And Michael sent me a message back, and he said, it's a funny thing. Bill doesn't have cancer, and his doctor has professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. His doctor was saved. By the way, the same thing happened with one of uh, Dale's doctors. Started giving books to hundreds of patients. When I landed back in the States, one of the guys in the group picked me up at the airport and whisked me straight to campus. Bill was at Walmart in his wheelchair telling everyone who would listen what had happened to him. The cancer was gone. One of the ladies there that night believed Bill's story, and she believed that God had a plan for her life, and she became a Christ follower. Bill was a little late coming into the room, so I'd been there 10 or 15 minutes by the time he rolled in. And as he rolled in the dorm room there on the campus, the guys in the room sang, I believe in miracles. Where are you from? You sexy thing, you sexy thing, you. Now, I know that's not a worship song, but I just want you to know I know what songs were playing when I was at prom. And as far as I'm concerned, every time hot chocolate comes on the radio anywhere I am, I sing a song of joy because it makes me happy. What are your songs? The songs that remind you of the times that God came through for you. You should have some of those. When God answers prayer, maybe you should find a song to remind you. Because the days of suffering at the beginning of the verse will come back again, and you'll wonder, but nobody can take your song of happiness. Is any of you happy he should sing songs of praise? Well, the next one I've talked about quite a bit, but the third circumstances uh, that demands our prayer, suffering, happiness, sickness. Can I talk to you a bit about this verse I have heard people mistreated with this verse. If you only had enough faith, God would heal you. And in fact, faith is important as you have been studying together to James. He says, uh, if you 
ask for wisdom, you shouldn't doubt because an un, um, a double-minded man is unstable in all he does. So you could take a few verses of this wise writing, these Proverbs, and you could say, it's all about your faith. And if you just had enough faith, any sickness that came your way would be uh, dismissed by our healing God. But you know what else I read in this, this uh, book? I, I read this in the previous chapter, verse 14. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that vanishes for a little while, um, that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So which one is it, James? Is it to say, well, it's the Lord's will and we should just submit to the Lord's will or I'm sick. The doctor says I'm going to die, but I'm going to pray. And the answer is both, both. Wise literature seems to have conflicting advice all the time. Some people say absence makes the heart grow fonder. Some people say out of sight, out of mind. Listen, I love you guys. I don't want to be out of sight, out of mind. Absence does make the heart grow fonder, but both of these work. And if you're going to be married for very long from somebody that you're separated from, you need to figure out which proverb applies in your specific situation. <laughs> James is not arguing that if you just have enough faith that God would heal you. I do believe in healing. I'll tell you, um, as, as somebody who's been a scientist for a lot of years, I still try to wrap my head around what the Bible teaches. It's a battle worth fighting for me. But I keep coming back to this, and I read an article just recently, and it says this, it said um, that of terminal cancer patients, one in 100,000 will uh, have their cancer completely, uh, they'll experience uh, the cancer disappearing with no treatment at all. So I said, well, I had two of them, and it happened twice, so the chances are one in 10 billion. That's more than the population of the earth. I hang a lot on that. It's part of what I believe. Um, it's part of what makes me believe in God. Uh, we were talking about this passage with a student that I have. I, I direct a school of ministry um, in Fort Worth, and we're called the Awakening School of Ministry. And I have a student from Denton, Texas. Um, she had been an absolute firecracker of a real estate salesperson. But then she had this encounter with Jesus. And honestly, this girl channeled all the energy that she ever had as a salesperson straight into reaching people for Christ. She took a wrong turn in Fort Worth one night going home from class and decided it would be a good idea to stop and pay $12 to park on Friday night in downtown Fort Worth. And Amelia was her parking lot attendant. She told Amelia about Jesus. And Amelia is a Christ follower today. This woman is just crazy, but the problem is she was sick. She had fibromyalgia and a list of things I can't even remember. And we were studying in, in a New Testament class about this very passage, and I said, it seems to me that I look at this passage, this is not a promise, it is an instruction. That when one of us is sick, we ought to pray, and then we ought to anoint with oil. By the way, something I learned this week, I've always thought anointing with oil was like a religious thing. But in this particular case, it appears that what James is telling people to do is you should pray 
And then you should take the medicine of oil and dab it on you. In other words, pray and go to the doctor. Sounds like good advice. Well, we'd done praying. We'd gone to the doctor multiple times, both for Candace. And Candace raised her hand and she said, I believe you're right. This is instruction. I have been prayed over that I would be healed multiple times. I have faith. God has not healed me yet. And she continued to work. Now, I will say this. In the next class, I believe that she took, that teacher said, I think we should pray for Candace. I had prayed for Candace. Someone in the room said, OJ should pray. And so OJ Johnson prayed that the Lord would heal Candace. And suddenly, all of her symptoms disappeared. Now, I've heard people say, I was prayed over 50 times. I'm so glad I didn't stop at 49. And if you go to a church in Denton, Texas, Candace just baptized 10 kids in her uh, children's church. A machine for the Lord Jesus Christ. She just loves him. Her husband, Josh, isn't saved yet. You can pray for him. Uh, You should pray when you are sick. And lastly, you should pray over the issue of sin. We don't do this much in the Protestant church. I don't suggest that we become Catholics, but I do think it would change our view of walking away from the guidance of Jesus if we always confessed our sins to one another. In fact, I had an accountability partner. Every time we messed up, if it got bad, we would threaten, if you do that again, I'm going to make you tell (laughs) so-and-so. It was a powerful deterrent. Now, I don't know why. It should be enough. I know everyone in this room should say it should be enough not to sin everything that Jesus has done for us. But in this broken world, there is power in walking together. I taught a bunch of addicts at a Christian addiction recovery center for a couple of years. I wasn't sure why God sent me there, but I'll tell you, I saw miracles, miracles, miracles every week. I did not work there a single week in those two years that someone I knew didn't become a Christ follower. It completely changed my perspective on what it means to serve the Lord Jesus Christ because I saw fruit everywhere I went. And those guys who had messed up not terribly long ago and who didn't have a cover story or an excuse were exceptionally good at hearing each other's confessions and helping one another get out of jams spiritually. We still need that. I've wished dozens of times that I could put my eight guys in the room together and say, would you pray for me? You should pray over sin. You should pray about your own. Do you know you should pray about the sins of others? I don't have to say too much to you. I wouldn't have to have a vote. Everybody knows our society is terribly broken right now. And one of the things we love to do, not necessarily you, but our society, is to call out the wrongdoing of others and completely minimize or deny our own. You can have 22 channels of it instantly on the same uh, viewfinder. It's ridiculous. And yet, James says, whoever turns a sinner back from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sin. Do you know, even if you're okay with, Je- with Jesus, he still wants you to pray for other folks. Listen, please never give up on people who have made terrible decisions. I'm so glad no one gave up on me. At least Granny didn't. Maybe other people did. My church has a board with a thousand names on it. It's a picture of a hands reaching out for a prodigal son. I know a lot of names on that board. It's interesting we have another board. 
And very, very often now, we're writing names that were on this board on the new one. And this is the embrace of the father for the prodigal coming home. James says, you should pray when you sin. You should pray when others sin. We're in this together. We're on the same team. What's the point of this message? The point of this message is we all need to be people of prayer. In whatever size group that suits you, in whatever life circumstance you find yourself today, we ought to be people of prayer. I know we all feel like we can't pray. And I'll admit this. There are certain people who talk better than others. There's a reason why Michael Gerald and Joel Libermento often stand in this place and some of us don't. Some people listen better than others. They make great counselors. But all of us talk and all of us listen. Some of us are better at talking to God than others. Some of us are better at hearing God than others. But all of us can speak to God and hear from him. Elijah was a man just like us, the scripture says. In some ways, he was a superstar, and in some ways, he was a wimp. It astounds me. He defeats 800 prophets, and then he runs out into the wilderness and says, I'm the only one left. It's not even true what he's falling for. But the text says, you know what? He did this. He prayed. I'm grateful for Randy today. I'm grateful that he introduced me to a group of people who knew how to pray. I don't know if some of our friends would be among us if Randy hadn't invited me that day. Some people who are connected to this church in a very specific way are connected because Randy prayed for his brother to find the Lord Jesus Christ, and I joined him. Elijah was a man just like us. Do you know what our problem is? We don't know Elijah in the world today. I didn't know Elijah, but I knew Dora McGee. I knew Eunice Phillips. I knew Randy Morris. So what about you? Don't you want to be a person of prayer? This is the call that James gives to us. Not a call of perfection in prayer, but simply a journey that in these circumstances, I'll call upon the name of the Lord. I suppose in a moment the band will come up, but what I don't want to do is what James tells us not to do. James tells us not to believe something and fail to do it. And so this morning, maybe this call is for you in a very specific situation. Maybe this morning you're suffering and it's real suffering to you. And you need to know that the Lord has heard you and you need to pray. <laughs> maybe this morning you're happy <laughs> and you just need to find your happy song. You need to say it to the Lord. Maybe you're sick this morning. You need someone to pray for you. I can't see terribly well, but we'd love to pray for you because the Bible says that. And it doesn't depend on your faith being at 100%. It's just putting yourself in the loving arms of Jesus in your sickness. And maybe you failed, or maybe you're really burdened for someone who has failed and you wanna pray. Why leave today? Why preach about prayer and not do it? So I would encourage you, if you sense today, the Lord is calling me to a specific prayer, I want you to just stand where you are. 
just stand where you are. God is calling me to pray because I'm in suffering. God is calling me to pray because I'm sick. God is calling me to pray over a sin issue, mine or someone else's. God is calling me to pray because I'm happy. And today I want to do what he says. I'm just going to stand right where I am. It's just a way to say, yes, I'm going to do what, what James is, has instructed me to do. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. As an act of what faith I have, I'm going to stand and say, God is calling me to pray. Maybe as God is calling you to be a person of prayer. I do hope you'll find somebody you can pray with. I do hope you'll find a group of people you can pray with. Maybe your pastors. I do hope you can learn to find a way to pray in your closet. But pray. <laughs> pray in these circumstances. Heavenly Father, I'm lifting my voice to you. I'm filled with gratitude to you because you have answered prayer in a way that I know that the God of the universe cares for me and cares for the people that I call my children in this congregation. God, I'm so grateful that you allow us to pray our meek little prayers when we're suffering and life doesn't make any sense at all and all we can say is help God if you're there. God, I'm so grateful that when the doctors say it's all over, we can lay our hand, our, ourselves in your, in your hands and you can do things that mystify science. God, I pray that today as we stand that you would hear our prayer God, enable us in this time of suffering. In the suffering, if, if it serves you, God, you are able. All power is in your hand. God, for the joy that is in our hearts today, we sing a song to you. God, songs all around us, but you are the one who is worthy of our song. God, in our sickness, if we're not sick today, we'll be sick at some point in the future, and you hold our lives in your hand. But Father, you can deliver. And then Father, ultimately in our sin, we don't want to die a physical death or a spiritual death in our sin. And as we confess to you, you heal the brokenness in our lives. God, make this a place of community healing. As we walk with you, bring us to wholeness. God, for the prodigals who are far from you making terrible decisions, speak to their souls. Father, thank you for this gift of prayer. It's not perfect, but we know that you hear. God, thank you for this gift that you have given us, the God of the universe who speaks to us, the God of the universe who hears when we cry out to you. You are worthy of our praise. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Amen.